This is episode number 238 of the Rising Man podcast with Tom McGee. Real wisdom is having the willingness to admit what I do not know. What's up, Rising Man family? Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jetty Azuma, and I'm here with another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to let y'all know it is not too early. In fact, it is the right time for you to go to risingman.org slash compass and apply to join us for our next four-day vision fast. This is an amazing opportunity to embark on a rite of passage journey, and we are setting up our fall lineup. There is a huge waiting list, and I mean huge. We will not have enough spots for the men who want to come out and fast with us. So if this is something that you want to do before the end of 2023, go to risingman.org compass and get yourself applied and registered today to reserve your spot. All right. My guest for today is Tom McGee. He's a clinical psychotherapist with over 40 years of clinical practice. He also has decades, and I mean decades, of experience in men's healing work, specifically facilitating men's circles and retreats. He's an OG. He's a father to two amazing daughters and a grandfather to two amazing grandchildren, and he just so happens to be my father-in-law as well. Tom has not been on the show since the early days of the podcast five years ago, so this was our first opportunity to dip back into the well. In this episode, Tom and I discussed the journey of men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and why this is such a high-pressure time. Tom shared why he made it his mission to give men what they never received from other men in order to help them grow up in ways that they never had. What does a man do when looking for purpose later in life? Tom answers this question as he begins to wind down his work, and we discussed how a man reconciles feelings of unfinished business and the what-ifs when it comes to fulfilling a lifelong mission. We talked about real wisdom and how it, real wisdom is having the willingness to admit what I do not know. Tom discussed his role as a grandfather and how it differs from being a father. Lastly, we dove into the pressures of being a leader and a model for other men. This and so much more without further ado, Tom McGee. All right, Rising Man family, I've got a very esteemed guest, someone who means very much to me coming back for a second appearance on the show, Tom McGee, who is my father-in-law coming in live from Oxnard, California. It's good to be here with you, Tom. Thank you. It's good to be here, Jenny. And just before we started recording, we realized it's been five years since the very, very early days of the podcast since you've been on here. Yeah. So it's good to come back and pick up the conversation again. Wow, time flies. Yeah. Let's see if we can go back in time to that. Do you, do you remember? You actually, I think we're sitting in exactly the same position when we had this Was conversation. I? Yeah, I remember the background. Mm, okay. Well, I didn't start sitting here till the pandemic, which was 2020. So that was three years ago. Okay. Well, hey, I'm getting old too. Maybe my timing is off. Uh, Although, no, that may not be the case. I may have sat here for that interview, even though I wasn't sitting here regularly. Once the pandemic hit, I started doing a lot of my work from here and I was sitting in this corner all the time. But I think, I think maybe I might have, yeah, I might have been sitting in this corner for some other things too. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back in time together. Five years ago, Sitka was two years old. 
wow. two years old. We were still living in California. We were up in that house in Hope Ranch in Santa oh, Barbara. Oh, yeah. Okay. So just taking a little bit of a, of a trip back in, in your mind, um, mm. how were you looking at, at the world and, and your, your personal journey as a man five years ago compared to now? Well, you know, the biggest thing that stands out is I was still really working full time. And so the reference of, of Sitka being two, I remember um, having to really work to eke out the time in my schedule to get up to see him once a week during the week. And I remember... Um, I'd throw him in that backpack that you guys had and that's right. We would walk down the creek to the ocean. And we had some great times doing that. And uh uh I started naming the trees. And I remember when he the first time he said palm tree before I, I even, you know, got had a chance to say it. <laughs> <laughs> say, There's the palm tree, but he would just say palm tree. And, uh, so my life was much more compressed then because I, you know, I was really, I was working full time, um, busy with my therapy practice and men's groups. I had three men's groups at the time and uh, retreats. We were kind of in the peak of doing our retreats, Richard Palmer and I. And, um, so my world was very busy then compared to how it is now. That's that's the first big contrast that I think of. Also, I think so that would have been like 2018. Um, I mean, there was quite a bit of turmoil in the world and in the country. Um, but it seemed like it it wasn't it hadn't reached the fever pitch that it's gotten to more recently so um i was a little bit swept up in that but also trying to preserve my life you know separate from it so that it didn't take it over a little and, bit difficult uh, to to go back before the pandemic yeah. in our mind. I just, I was doing the same myself yeah. and I was trying to yeah. remember, well, what was different? We, we didn't have a whole context for what it looks like when the world yeah. changes so dramatically. Well, again, another huge difference for me was that I was, you know, going to my office five days a week and I was running around before and after that. And my perception looking back on that time is just, I was so busy all the time. Mm running here and there. And the only time I was in my home was in the evenings and some of the weekends. I just I wasn't at home that much. Mm. And um, so the pandemic really was a different experience in that respect, you know, especially when we were supposed to just stay in our homes all the time as much as possible. And I really loved that. <laughs> so great for me because um, I got to really enjoy my home for like really the first time in my life, more than I ever had. We've lived in this same house over 40 years and, and I had never enjoyed it so much. 
you know, it was just the place that I left in the morning, came back to in the evening. Sometimes that was like leaving at nine in the morning, coming back at 10 at night. And um, um, so I just wasn't, wasn't here that much. And be, being able to spend the time here to be able to go from a session into my kitchen and, you know, fix a meal or refreshments. Talk to my wife, Carmina, a little bit. Um, it was so much more relaxed. So yeah. much more relaxed. And, I, and I've never really gone back to that busyness that I was in before. Well, I can I can really relate to that because <sighs> I'll go back in five years in time myself. Just getting mm -hmm. the podcast started, yeah. I, had, I technically had three different jobs. And then I was doing the podcast in the laundry room of the house I lived in <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Just because I just was so drawn to and just so compelled to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And when you just mentioned how you were able to finally enjoy being at home, in your home, mm -hmm. I was very much in that world of running around all day, especially because at the time I was working in a physical therapy office and then I was seeing people in their homes for yeah. home care physical therapy. In addition to that, I was, I was away a lot. And I, it seemed really natural at the time. It was a mm -hmm. it's kind of a novel concept to work from home in 2018 yeah. before everyone had to. Because that's what, especially as men, we think of that's what we do. We go out into the world and do our work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's a pretty good or interesting segue for me mm -hmm. into this conversation of uh, I look at how my work has evolved now where I'm capable of working from home and I almost need to get myself out of the house, you know, kind of push myself away mm -hmm. from the house so I can get a little bit of that uh, mm -hmm. energy from the outside world. And I, honestly, I resisted it for a while, resisted being home. I was resisting mm -hmm. falling in love with being home and being more available because it just didn't feel right. Didn't feel mm -hmm. right in my body. I'd, I'd never, I grew up watching my dad leave for work every single day on a weekday, mm -hmm. my whole life. Um, so I think it's a big adjustment. And just coming back to you, the um, I, I think that this shift over the past five years, I've also witnessed you. Uh, I don't know what the word for you would be, but I would say uh, winding down some of your work. Uh, yeah, that's a good. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what what has that process been like for you? I, I imagine wow. a lifetime's worth of work to start to slow it down. Yeah, it's it's. It's been surprising at times um, um, how much of a journey that has been. You know, um, for psychotherapists, there's a lot out there about how to build your practice, you know, and, and you should do this and do that and how you should market and all that kind of stuff. But nobody talks about how you should end a practice. And I... Um, I even went to my professional association to try to find out some stuff about that. And most of what they talked about is arranging your finances so that you'll be, you know, comfortable in, in your retirement. <laughs> and uh, for me, it's been much more about how to let go of this work and let go of the people that I've been so intimately connected to. And, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time building my practice and, you know, by 2018, well, before that, um, I had a very strong flow of clients coming 
into my life, um, both for my men's work and my therapy practice. And <clears throat> I had worked really hard to develop that flow. I never really considered what it would take to curtail that. You know? hmm. So in, I think it was maybe November of 2020, yeah, I think that's when it was. I I stopped taking any referrals. I just anybody came to me or someone wanted to refer to me, I, I just said I'm I'm not taking any referral. And um, that was the last one I took was in November of 2020, and um, that was interesting because now I was no longer getting new fresh people into my practice. I was working with the ones that I've been working with. And some of them hadn't been that long, but um, a lot of them, a lot of them were. And so it's natural in a therapy practice that people finish and then they leave, you know, and, you know, that still happened some, um, but there are a lot of people who just stayed with me. I mean, I've always done long-term therapy, so it's not unusual for a, person to be with me for therapy for years and the ones that have gotten the most from it have come for you know anywhere from three years on up and uh so um i slowly began to identify you know who could who could leave and then some people naturally took breaks and took time out and and some of them i you know, I just let them know that I was going to be leaving my practice and I wasn't going to continue with them anymore. And, you know, I, I've heard of therapists who have said, okay, I'm, I'm retiring next month. I'm done. We have one month to say goodbye and that's it. And they did that with all their clients. But I just couldn't see doing that. I mean, first of all, it wasn't very feasible financially, but, but that was a very small part of it. It was more like, um, I've always, in my therapy practice, I've always tailored my um, work to the individuals that I'm seeing. So, you know, within the ethical guidelines of, of psychotherapy, um, I have um, really responded very individually to each person. And I figured that uh, I needed to do the same thing in closing my practice that I wasn't going to just say, okay, everybody, I'm gone. I'm on a long vacation. I'm not coming back. Um, uh, I've, you know, worked with each individual to um, discuss and talk about and work out, you know, when is a reasonable time to end. And so, the, the consequence of that is that I've been saying goodbye to people for the last three years. And that's a lot of goodbyes. And there's a lot of grief and um, some resolution, some things unresolved as, you know, all endings have some unresolved things. And um, so it's really taken a toll on me emotionally been going through a lot of grief and then also um 
grief about, um, you know, what is going to be my role in the world? That's still a big question mark. And um, I, you know, in earlier years, I thought, well, when I retire, I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to know what I'm going to do so that I, you know, just won't fall into isolation and despair. But, and I've gotten closer to it. I realized that I'm, I'm going into a new phase of my life and I'm not in control of it completely. I mean, I, I have, you know, I have some things I can do and say about it, but it's not all up to me. It's, and I have to be open to what comes, not just try to be in control of everything and direct it. That would make it much smaller. Well, sure. I, I could, I could definitely imagine that. And I appreciate you sharing it. I, I, I hadn't given much thought to how much grief you would, you must be going through. And cause yeah. I think a lot of people, well, at least I'll speak for myself. It's easy to think of um, anyone who's receiving therapy from someone as that almost like being a one one directional relationship but especially the way you speak about the people that you've worked with over the years it's very clear that these are two-way relationships and yeah definitely the time you've you've granted to allow those relationships to close and not have so many abrupt transitions i i really i really respect that and Mm -hmm. also appreciate the consequence that you said of just yeah. being in that space for a prolonged period of time. I imagine that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I'm at the point where uh, I'm planning to close down my office at the end of June. There are a few people that I'll see uh, once a month, but that um, will open up my schedule so that um, I have a lot of open space uh, for my life. And then I have to, um, look and find out what's going to happen with that space and that time. I'm already at the point now where I'm, I have to think about what day of the week it is because my, my work days have so little work in them, <laughs> but I still have a work week. And so it still feels like I'm in this job in a way. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, imagine that I've yeah. got a weekly schedule. I have, I have appointments, you know, Monday through Thursday. There's just, you know, only two or three appointments a day. So it's not very much. Well, I want to swing back to something you said about what is, you know, what is my purpose now? What is my role? I think you said, what is my role in the world now? Yeah. And one of the questions I'd wanted to ask you that I think leads into that is, do you have any feeling of unfinished business or um, especially as it pertains to your career or your Mm -hmm. work as you start to wind down from Mm -hmm. your groups and from your therapy practice? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, I mean, okay, there's a lot of things coming to mind. Uh, One is that Richard Palmer and I are working on this book about our men's work. We're, We're drawing on our more than two decades of experience of working with men in individually in groups and in retreats to write something about what we've learned and what we know about men and men's lives. So, excuse me, that is unfinished. And, and actually I'm thinking that the second part of this year, I'm going to be devoting a lot of time to that book. We've been working on it a little bit and fits and starts, but 
So that that is something right there. Um, actually, the first thing that came to mind is um, that we might have reached more men and and gone bigger and and we were when i say we i'm talking about richard palmer and me we looked at ways of of broadening our scope and drawing more men into what we were doing in fact the the, the idea behind this book which the idea is pretty pretty old <laughs> over 10 years old was that you know maybe right if we wrote a book you know we would draw more men into our into our work and we looked at other other things too um but we we came to the conclusion that we did not want to um we really just didn't want to compete with all the other people out there that were you know gaining big audiences and, you know, becoming lecture circuit speakers and stuff like that. Um, it just, it seemed so exhausting and so um, draining to try to do that. Um, and, and then Richard and I started partnering, partnering rather late in our careers. Um, so we didn't, we started doing retreats in, in 2006 together um i had been doing them for about five years before that but um um at that point you know i wouldn't say i was at the peak of my career because i feel like the peak came a little bit after that but um it's like we didn't have 20 30 years to build something you know we didn't have that much time so we decided to keep our target relatively small um use the word of mouth method more than anything else which has always been most reliable for us and um so we you know, we always had to hustle and struggle a little bit to fill our retreats. And uh, I think, um, you know, if if I had seen the trajectory that I was going to be on, you know, if I'd seen that 25 years ago, I might have done it a little bit different. Maybe tried to go a little bit bigger and reach more men. But um, um that's sort of the way it is. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question, Tom. I, yeah. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, either on a podcast or even just between you and yeah. I, but did you ever have a clear central purpose or mission around the work you do with men? Because um, I, I, the reason I ask is because I, I, I know that it's something you care about deeply and I know it's something mm -hmm. you have a passion for, but was there ever like a clear mission or purpose that you had in mind or an outcome that you saw when you got into it? Well, outcome, not so much, but purpose. Yeah. My, I feel like my purpose has been to give to men something of what maybe they didn't get from other men 
including fathers, mentors, um, and to help them grow up in the areas where they needed to grow up. And um, not necessarily determined by me, but by um, helping them to see their way. So, um, yeah, outcomes, I don't know, the outcome of that purpose can be different. You know, it looks different in each man. Mm-hmm. So, well, I really like that you said that. I was just yeah. reflecting on what you shared there. Because I, when I hear you say that, I think that's absolutely what I've witnessed you do. And uh-huh. I, th- I think I've been to at least a couple of your retreats and gotten mm-hmm. to sit in different f- uh, formations of men's yeah. circles with you over the years. And uh, that that purpose of giving men what they never got from other men. I, I see that as such a foundational piece of this work. Oftentimes mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in, in spaces with men, and it, usually there's men who've never sat in circle with other men before, I yeah. speak exactly to that, that the first mm-hmm. thing we need to do here is give each other the space that we've never had before mm-hmm. so that we can explore those places and parts within us that never felt safe enough to explore. Mm-hmm. And then from that place, it's like we, we, we enter into a whole nother realm where, yeah. like you said, helping men grow up in the ways that they never mm-hmm. had or never were able to. Um, I think it's all it's all just ways that we've adapted to protect ourselves from where the world didn't feel yeah. safe. And that's been one of the most rewarding parts of doing men's groups is being hearing on a regular basis. And I still hear this now from men in the two groups that I have um, is uh, I never thought I could be this way with other men. It never occurred to me. You know, it just it, it's like they're continually surprised at how how amazing it is to be in this kind of positive atmosphere with other men. And, you know, uh, both Richard and I have seen how we know that probably one per, or 10% of the men that are referred to us actually show up. That there are, you know, wives, sisters, brothers, fathers, sons who are referring men who, for whatever reason, don't ever call, don't ever show up. And I, I think it's it's um it's built into us in our culture that we're we're not supposed to ask for help. We're supposed to go it alone and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And um and uh and certainly not get into too many messy feelings or or you know really um delve into that kind of um, uh, murky emotional stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's why a lot of men don't show up, but, but once they've been in a group for a while, they, they realize it's not hard. It feels good. And it's so wonderful having other brothers to be connected to. Yeah. I, I witnessed the same things. In fact, yeah. uh, sometimes what, what really amazes me is how men who have never been in a space like that, given the right uh, container and, and context for the men to connect and drop into, are able to share things that they've never shared with anybody. Every time I hear yeah. that, even though I've witnessed it, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I don't even know how many times, 
it, yeah. it always catches me off guard because now mm-hmm. I've been doing this. I've been sitting in men's circles for 18 years now. So I, it's easy for me to take it for granted. It's easy for me mm-hmm. to forget how yeah. big of a mountain that is to climb. But I agree with you. I think there's a lot of men who don't. Uh, that, that, that narrative is just so strong to stay self-contained to mm-hmm. that, that also being in certain spaces with men is, is not safe because of the bullying or the ridicule. Yeah. Right. Seeing yeah. is less than, and it, even just five years ago, coming back to our last podcast conversation that we had about this, when I started the podcast, I could only find 10 other podcasts that were geared towards men and specifically oh, really? about men's growth. There was a lot of mm. podcasts about men that were, you know, trying to teach guys how to date or mm. you know, other things, but there weren't many about these types of conversations, the real mm-hmm. stuff, what's really going on, the insecurities. Uh-huh. And, but I think that's changed a lot over the last five years. Mm. Uh, so I wonder what that looks like for you. I, I see you as one of the, the um, I don't know if it's first generation or at least one of the men who was on the front lines of this, because you've mm-hmm. been doing this for longer than most people who listen to this podcast have been alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wonder what you've noticed in just the past five years about how the conversation around men's work and the men's movement has evolved and also where you see it going. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, watching you is, is uh, very encouraging because I see how much uh, is being done and how much is, how many men are being reached. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased. And I, I see that there's also, I mean, there's a variety of types of men's work that there was when I started too, but um, those varieties have grown. And especially with the technology um, developing the way it is, it's multiplied in so many different directions. Um, so to me, it's really pleasing to see all that happening. Yeah, is there any sense of, uh, I guess, going back to that thought of unfinished business, uh, passing it on to a new generation and and leaving that into the hands of the yeah. next wave of men? Well, passing it on doesn't require much activity on my part. <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter of uh, you know other men picking up the the uh, banner and, and carrying it, and, and for me to just get out of the way. <laughs> It's, uh, and that's, you know, that's really, I feel like what I've been doing. I've, and that, you know, goes back to what I was saying before about um, saying goodbye. There's just a lot of letting go. So I'm really pleased in, in what's happening, what I do see of, you know, uh, men's work being done. And um, you now some of it's not being done the way I would do it, but uh, that's just my way. I mean, there's, all kinds of different ways. So for me, it's just a matter of, uh, it's it's not like I have to let it go so that other men can do it. They'll do it anyways. And I'm, I'm glad of that. Um, and uh, so my, my job really is just, just letting go. Uh, I'm, I'm planning to stay in touch with the two men's groups that I have now as long as, you know, possible you know, indefinitely so that, um, I'll still have my, my hand in it in this small way and keep up the relationships with these men that I have. Um, 
but other than that, well, and I am I am continuing to do retreats, um, mostly just with you know the men that I'm working with now. So, I, in the past, um, we would announce a retreat, and we'd you know try to do as much promotion or marketing as we could to get as many people there as possible. Now, I just inform. Uh, well, I consult with my men's groups as to know when they can come and then set something up and, and we have a, a weekend together it's much simpler and uh, i guess that's part of the letting go too is not feeling like i have to create a big production in order to try to draw people yeah well i think it's also important at least for it feels important for myself to acknowledge how there's um there's still so much value and importance behind the the generations of men being woven mm -hmm. interwoven and connected together yeah uh, i think that's one of the things that got us in trouble in the first place has been this disconnect from um, the elder generations and mm -hmm. the the generation or the the timeline of life that that i'm currently in where i'm taking care of my small children and watching my parents get older and then even the next mm -hmm. generations that are coming up after us where they're just mm -hmm. beginning to come into their power that the, the lack of continuity and connection between those generations and i mm -hmm. I, I do see that to a degree in men's work I'm, I'm grateful that in in just in within the rising man community we've had men as old as 72 and as young as 18 that's uh, great share space together yeah. mm -hmm. which is really great and i'd like to see more of that so i think of someone mm -hmm. like yourself and and richard who you've also mentioned that there there must be a role for you you men that is um it's not just acknowledged but it's actually carved out and created for you to keep mm -hmm. giving your gifts that's at least that's what i would imagine that season of life to be now whether or not you or any other man is is particularly called to that or interested in it it, it feels important mm -hmm. to me. so i wonder what it feels like to you well um you just called to mind a, a dream I had once. Uh, I think we, I had this dream when we were visiting you in Santa Cruz. Oh. And uh, the dream was that um, there was going to be this big men's conference and you and some other guys were organizing it and, and I was just going to be a speaker there. And I didn't have to do any of the organizing or any of the any other work other than just, you know, stand up in front of the group and give a talk. <laughs> I could I could see doing something like that. Yeah, easily. I, well, I think that's how you know talk about ideal settings or situations. I, mm -hmm. And maybe this is a good segue into talking about your role as grandfather now to Sitka. There's just such a well of life experience and wisdom that a man can accumulate in mm. with with years under his belt the mm -hmm. full gamut and range of experiences and as a man like the man that i see in you who's given himself more permission than many men probably do to experience the full range of life mm -hmm. in its challenges and in its triumphs to impart that wisdom on on younger men it's it, mm -hmm. it feels so essential and yeah i see you do that with sitka so effortlessly seems so mm -hmm. so natural for you to to be in that role and i can imagine you whether it's at a conference or, or some other <laughs> scenario just posting up a chair 
and and welcoming conversation from yeah. young and eager and ambitious minds who don't have the same uh, library of experience to draw from that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> kind of interesting. Um, I remember once, uh, you know, I was trained as a spiritual director and I um, was in a, a consultation group with some other spiritual directors. And these other spiritual directors happened to be all women, most of them about 15 or so years older than me. And the question came up of, you know, what do we see in the future or something like that? I can't remember what, how this came up, but I said, um, well, I'm hoping to move into elderhood and be able to move into wisdom and, um, these women just started laughing. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> and I, I think from from where I sit now, um, what I see is that um, what I imagine was going through their minds was that um, sure, there's many things that that I have learned over my life, but there's also um, more and more things that I just don't know about. Things like that there's many, many more ways that I don't know. Um, And I guess you could say that perhaps there's a wisdom in that. But when it comes to passing along wisdom, if I take Sitka, my grandson, as an example, Sitka doesn't really, um, he doesn't take to me um, expounding things to him or telling him about things. But what he does is he absorbs who I am and what I have to offer. It's it's a largely nonverbal thing. And um, I think, you know, that also is what I have passed along to other other men uh, over the years. Um, there's sure there's certain pieces of knowledge that I have, but the greater wisdom, if you want to call it that, is a way of being that gets shared. And it's in, it's been interesting to watch my men's groups because when when men are in the group for a long enough period of time, they start in small ways, kind of acting and being similar to me in in response to certain situations. And I think what I see is I see compassion and I see uh, tolerance and open-mindedness and brotherhood and caring uh, grow up in these men. And it's not because I've told them that that's what they should do it's because they've absorbed it somehow from me. Yeah, well, it's definitely true in in children. I, that there's uh, even before there's the capacity to understand and expound upon deeper intellectual ideas. It's, mm-hmm. it's really just what they're modeling and what they see. And I love that you drew that comparison to how how it's occurred for you in your men's groups and in your men's communities where. 
you start to see men modeling some of your behavior. And mm -hmm. in what way specifically does that show up? Is it the way they speak? Is it the way they, they are? Yeah, it's kind of hard to get too specific with it. Um, but um, I think um, there's just kind of a, a mitigation of harshness. You know, if harshness starts to come up in someone, um, others will respond in a way that um, will somehow mitigate that. And uh, um, uh, working through conflicts in a reasonable way. Question just popped into my head. Uh, do you experience pressure? from being a, a leader of men either you know how, however you look at that is that is that felt like a pressure or a big responsibility for you um it really did when i first started doing retreats when i first started doing retreats and the first retreat i did was only six men from a men's group that i was leading um but i planned out every minute of that weekend <laughs> I felt like I had to, you know, give them all this stuff. And a lot of it was, was handing them information. Uh, it was kind of a spiritually oriented retreat. And, um, um, so I had all these, um, words to say and exercises and, um, practices. And I mean, I, I had, and I had that just laid out from beginning to end and um i was exhausted by the end of it i was exhausted quarter of the way through <laughs> and then and it was because i felt that pressure i felt like okay if these are these men are willing to come in and be with me and and have me be the leader of this retreat then i better offer them something good mm. and so the first several retreats I did were like that, um, where I was, I was trying, I would have an outline, I'd have a topic and I'd have references and information and all this stuff. Um, it was more like a weekend seminar probably than a, uh, retreat, but, um, gradually as, as time went on, I, I began to realize that, um, the wisdom of the group is stronger than any kind of information that I would present. So um, I started to leave more and more room for that. And and now I don't prepare at all when, when I'm going to be doing a retreat. It's just, okay, we're going to this place at this time and, and trust that, you know, what needs to emerge will emerge. And that's, that's, you know, the other end of the spectrum. Um, but that's, that's where I've come to now after having all those retreats where there's been a lot of planning and preparation and, you know, Richard Palmer and I used to joke that we would, um, bring our bag of tricks to a retreat and then we would use less than 50% of what was in the bag, but, but at least we had the bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, that speaks to embodiment and experience. It also speaks to listening. Yeah. And a willingness to uh, exactly. I guess just a depth yeah. of trust in yourself and your skills. Yeah. Uh, for me, 
when I think of th this question, and I wonder if you experience it too, but I've also noticed that a lot of people have, who are in the community, they, there's like this natural thing we do as humans where we we put people up on on a pedestal and we, we, we shape mm -hmm. this identity of them to be yeah. someone that either we desire them to be or mm -hmm. we believe them to be for some yeah. some motive. And what, mm -hmm. what I've found a lot of um, peace in has been having conversations with people in the, especially when we, especially when we take guys out for fasts and I'm spending mm -hmm. some more direct, intimate time with men mm -hmm. and being able to relax into myself more and to show mm -hmm. more of who I am, the silly side, the goofy side, yeah. the guy who forgets things, the guy who yeah. uh -huh. needs somebody to help me remember something that mm -hmm. I don't have it all covered. That I don't have it all put together that I, yeah. I can uh -huh. drop in and be vulnerable right alongside the other men to, to break down this idea that any there that there's a perfect man out there to follow, because um, I I definitely feel the pressure and I have felt the pressure. I think a lot earlier on it felt like a lot more pressure, but just recently in the past year, I'll, I'll say a year. It's been about since the time I've moved to Austin. Mm -hmm. I realized that the only thing I really need to do with my life from this point forward, regardless of rising man or anything else that I do. Is just continue to be the man that I that I want to be, mm -hmm. be the best mm -hmm. version of the man that I know myself to be. To be yeah. honest mm -hmm. about my journey, but just yeah. to be that man, and that that carries so much value in and of itself. I don't mm -hmm. doesn't need. I don't need to spin that into some unique workshop right. or program or offering. Yeah. That the value that people speak of when they talk about me and share that with me mm -hmm. is what they get from being in my presence. Yeah. So that takes a lot of the pressure. Yeah, off. I, you're absolutely right, I, and so I've I've felt very little pressure uh, regarding leadership for some time now, and now when I do a retreat, we're usually going out camping somewhere, and um, my function as a leader is really just it's almost like clerical or administrative, <laughs> make sure that we you know, move along when we need to move along and finish when we need to finish. And, um, and it's not, it's not, to me, it's not very charismatic. It's just, um, just a matter of, um, making sure that there's a little bit of structure and boundaries and that, that, um, you know, having faith that we will all together fill in what needs to be filled in in the structure within the structure. Well, to me, that's, I think that's just a testament to how well you have mentored the men mm. that have been in your uh, under your guidance, and mm. to, to to be able to just set the date and then show up and have mm -hmm. the the men take over the space. That that's something that I'm currently aspiring to. One of my big yeah. challenges is well, mm. what does it take? What's really required to prepare men to do this so that yeah. I can just be this you know, do the clerical yeah. work right just sit back and be the secretary yeah. and yeah. Um, that that's a good point i mean it's true that these men have been to so many retreats that they just kind of know the drill you know and, and if i forget something they usually remember. <laughs> what a great testament to your work and and just for for folks who aren't yeah. familiar with you or in case we don't catch it in the intro that we record how long mm. have you been uh leading these men's groups well i did my first one in 1993 um that one lasted for about a year and ended and then i started again uh, a couple of years later i think so i mean the very first time was 
I guess that's what, 30 years ago. So 30 years and many of the men, I've met lots of the men who come to your retreats mm -hmm. and participate in your men's circles. They're, they've been with you for decades at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think it's just a, you know, I, I, I want to emphasize that for any of the men who are listening because there's this fast food culture we have uh, thinking oh, yeah. that I can learn uh -huh. something or get everything that I need to know in a short mm -hmm. amount of time and then apply it. But it's really... Mm -hmm. showing up and sitting around the fire again and yeah. again and again and just yeah. really it's it's like um it's like how a river wears down a stone right it takes years to shape it yeah well that's true and um and yet i mean so, some some of the men that have come to our retreats come to one retreat and that's that's all for them you know or maybe a couple um, some come to a group for maybe only a year and then they're on their way. Um, uh, but there are many that keep coming back and it's, it's not because I don't think it's because they have somehow decided that this is really important work and it's going to take a long time to complete it. They keep coming back because it feeds them. And they want to continue to be nourished. You know, if you if you come to the oasis and you, you know, like your thirst, you will be thirsty again. And uh, why not, you know, go to another oasis or come back to the same one over and over again? It's a nice place to be yeah. uh, instead of consigning yourself to the desert for the rest of your life after that. Well, I just want to say I really admire what you've been able to do over the oh, years. And I, I've heard you in this conversation share just questions, I think, that are really natural questions. What if? What if we had reached more men or what could I have done differently mm -hmm. to reach more men? But what I admire most about you and your work is the depth that you've gone to with the men who, especially the men who have stuck around for mm -hmm. so long and the commitment you've had to show up week in and week out and spend mm -hmm. your evenings away from your your wife and away from your family mm -hmm. at times i really admire that because um to me that's that's something i really subscribe to is the longevity the consistency mm -hmm. the, the slow burn of building relationship mm -hmm. and intimacy that i it's hard to find out there to be honest with you yeah Tom. it's hard it's getting harder and harder to find yeah i can imagine what we do live in a fast food culture and and um uh, the other thing is that um with all of the information that is out there now all the time there's kind of this idea that you should get the information and then move on and you know and it's like i was saying before it's uh only a little bit about the information it's so much more about the experience right all right well, yeah. as we uh, start to bring our conversation to a close, is there is there any other reflections or any other thoughts or words you'd want to share to mm. close out here? Well, um, you know, I'm thinking about who might be listening, and um, I think maybe if there are a lot of men, say, in their 30s or 40s, um, that's that's for most men, a high pressure, difficult time. And 
there's a lot of um, perhaps obligations, a lot of requirements, either self or other imposed. And um, I think it's just so important to be able to follow your intuition and follow your heart because there's a lot of a lot of um, impetus against against that. Man, I, I could feel my body just softening and relaxing into that to, to hear yeah. to hear an elder man acknowledge just how mm -hmm. challenging this season of life is. Mm -hmm. uh, man, it's it's something that more young men need to hear because we're so hard on ourselves. And the expectations uh, that we create mm -hmm. or that we feel around us are so high. Uh -huh. I certainly, I don't think that's an excuse to to offer less of ourselves, but just to acknowledge mm -hmm. that there is it's a high pressure time. Really like the yeah. way you put that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Tom, I I love you and respect you very much. And for for myself, yeah. as, a, here, as a as a as mm a -hmm. man who mm -hmm. is committed mm -hmm. to serving the world in this capacity i i feel like i just hit the lottery to <laughs> to find my partner my wife and have her father be somebody who's just as devoted and committed to this work as i am i mean it sounds like a hollywood script almost <laughs> yeah <laughs> but tr truly I've, yeah. I've i've drawn so much inspiration from you and, and so mm -hmm. much respect from your work especially the style and the 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 culture of men's work. It's like you said, there's a lot of different flavors and I'm really glad that a man like you is holding down the particular flavor that you have and that I've gotten to witness that so closely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, before we go, where, uh, I mean, I know that things are winding down for you these days, but is there anything that you'd want to share any resources or a place to direct men who are interested in? The well, program? we are doing a, a retreat, um, June um, 9th to 11th. Oh, and uh, I, mean, I, I um, announced this to my groups and men who have been in my groups, but other men could come if they wanted to. So if there's somebody who's interested, uh, we'd welcome them in. Where would be uh, the best place to direct them if they are interested? Just to uh, contact me, Tom at TomMcGee.com. Um, at tomagee.com okay yeah. we'll make sure you put that in the show notes i will personally testify to the quality of the space that you and richard hold uh, I, I feel grateful and honored to have been able to be led by both of you men and be in your space especially for men who are because this one's going to be where's it going to be held is it it's going to be uh at a campground in the local mountains here a place called campo alto uh, okay yeah. So, yeah. Anybody who's in the Southern California area or willing to travel because you yeah, guys they want to uh, travel. That's okay too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. A, a rare opportunity for, for yeah. someone to get, ex to get some mm -hmm. experience and some time with you and Richard mm -hmm. would be, in my opinion, priceless. Uh, again, that's something I was yeah. really fortunate to have. And we're hoping that Richard will be coming too, but that's not for sure yet. I see. Okay. Well, <laughs> certainly time with you is time well spent. Uh, yeah. So, Tom, thank you so much for thank you, Jetty. some time to be here. And uh, let's not let five years go by before we do another yeah. one. Eh? <laughs> okay. I love what you're doing, by the way. And I'm so glad to see that you're doing it. Makes me feel really good that you're doing all the stuff that you're doing. Oh, well, 
thank you. I think that the love and respect is definitely deeply mutual. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For everything Rising Man, please go over to risingman.org. Remember to go over to risingman.org slash compass if you want to apply and join us for one of our final compass ventures in the end of 2023. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to us, as well as our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. And please keep showing us that love everywhere you do in all the ways that you do. And thank you for participating in this movement. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.